When something is pure, it means not mixed or adulterated with any other substances or material. How can we have pure relationships? That's hard to amount to when we live in a sinful world that has been tainted by many impurities. Jesus is the one who is able to wash away all of our impurities. It is interesting that a pure substance is something made of only one that is made of only one type of particle, where as a mixture of something that contains more than one particle is not pure. It's just that simple. And in that illustration that we've seen, something that is pure can turn impure just with one change of one particle. If you think of the way we are as human beings in our thought life, in our actions, our attitude, and in this case, as we go through this series, a trait that we have, a characteristic quality that we have, if, it's, if it has one mixture that is not of the Lord, then it is impure because we know that God is pure. And we've been learning through this series on the different churches found in the book of Revelation. In fact, we're going through seven different churches, and that's where we're giving this, getting the seven traits. So you can take out your bulletin, uh, and there are, notes, there are notes in there. And we're going to be talking about purity today. Now, we all want purity. We want pure relationships. We want pure speech. Uh, we want our food to be pure. We don't want food that is contaminated. I don't think anyone hopes that they go to a restaurant and say, I hope my food is contaminated. They say, I, I want everything to be healthy. I want it to be pure. Diamonds are pure. Water can be pure. Salt is pure. It's one particle. But what about our spiritual life? How do we, how do we get a pure spiritual life? Because if, if one particle is mixed in or, or, or one thing is mixed into our life that is impure, then that makes us impure. When Adam and Eve was first created, they were created pure. They had no sin in them until they decided to disobey God, and then they became impure. Now, that impurity was passed down to all of us. So now we're born impure. That's why the Bible says you must be born again. We were born wrong the first time because we were born impure. But God says now you can be born correct by my sacrifice. And because of my sacrifice and me sending my one and only son, your belief in him makes you pure because he becomes pure in you. So that's what it means to give your heart to Jesus Christ or your life to Jesus Christ. It's that life exchange, our impure life for his pure life. That's why we call it the pure sacrifice or the, the pure blood of the lamb. It has to have that wholeness. And God is able to do that. I think we all want purity in our, in our relationships. We all want purity in our, in our family. We don't want our family to uh, have things in it that is not good we don't like evil in our household. We don't like negative in our household. Some people try to block out negativity by just saying, think positive, think positive, think positive. And the moment you say that, you're thinking negative because you're thinking about the people who bring negativity. And now you're thinking how you can, get a, how you can, how you can do something so that they don't come against you. So revenge comes into play, uh, slander. You try to think of ways to make them look bad, but then you're thinking positive thoughts, positive thoughts, positive thoughts. And it's okay to do that for a little bit, but how much positive thoughts can we have to have a pure thought life? 
The church we're going to look at today in the book of Revelation is the church called Thyatira. And this church is, is, is just, uh, it's not like the other churches that we've been looking at. And if you've been missing a couple of Sundays, then you can go to our website and check out our resource section and you can watch the past weeks and catch up. But we've been looking at these churches and, and which is in Asia, in modern day Turkey today, we've been looking at the church in Ephesus and Smyrna and, and Pergamos. Uh, today we're going to look at Thyatira. And this, this city was known for good things, but they were also known for not so good things they were known mostly for their immorality, especially their sexual immorality. But out of these seven churches, Thyatira was the smallest of these churches. Yet if you look in the book of Revelation chapter 2, and out of all those seven churches, they have the longest letter. Imagine that, the smallest city, Jesus said the longest, uh, gave, the, gave the most words. And these are these are words that Jesus was speaking to John the Apostle, the one that followed Christ. And John was on this island called Patmos. It's off the coast of Asia. So God gives him this revelation of Jesus Christ. So these are the words of Jesus Christ that we are reading. These are the letters that Jesus said for John to write down and give to these different churches. And this church in Thyatira was, was one of those cities that... Jesus said there's, there's good things and then there's not good things. And I think that's like us. God will look at us and say there's, there's great things that you're doing. But then there's some things that we got to correct. We say that with our children. You know, sometimes we only see the bad. Like when they bring home their report card, we see all the, the, the negative, the, the D's and the F. And, and we say, well, how come you, look at your grades. How come you can't get this right? Yeah, but I have an A. Yeah, but that's in P.E., what about these other ones? Look at math and English. But we never look at the good grades. We always see the bad. And God says, no, I look at the good in you too, but I also want to help you correct that which is not good in you. Now, this city was not significantly political or, or religious. They were just a small city. They did have, an, uh, they did have a temple that was di uh, dedicated to the, to, the, uh, to the god Apollos, the sun god, you know, the Greek mythology. And so he, he addresses that, and he says, you know, you're in this city. It's a small city, but you're following different gods. you got to follow me. This city was the gateway to Pergamos, the, the church that we talked about last week, or that city. And although it was a small city, its importance was to be like that front so when enemies would come to Pergamos, which was the capital city of Asia at that time, they would be the first defense. So they would slow down the enemies before they got to Pergamos. And they would fight the battle, knowing they would lose because they were a small city. But that was, their, that was the history of that city. It was to slow down the enemies so that those in Pergamos could get ready for whatever battle took place but one outstanding characteristic of this city, Thyatira, was that it possessed more trade guilds than any other city of its size. You had bronze workers, you had tanners, uh, those that uh, made leather, and, but you also had people who worked with wool and dyes. In fact, one of the people, one of the women that was first 
converted to Christianity was a woman by the name of Lydia, and she's found in the book of Acts, that Paul the Apostle first converted. One, she was one of the first conversions to Christianity that Paul came in contact with. She was like, uh, like a CEO of a business. She was doing well with fashion and, and was a seller of purple, which was a, a, a great a trade at that time. But it was hard for merchants to pursue their trade without belonging to one of these guilds. And to, be, to belong to one of these guilds meant that you had to partake in the things that they did, which they would throw parties and they would have get-togethers, especially to worship these foreign gods. One of them was the god named Baal. And if you read your Bible, you'll notice that that god is constant throughout the history of Israel that people kept bringing in the worship of Baal. And they kept trying to pull Israel away from the true God to worship this other God. Well, that still was a problem in this city. And it was to this church, which seemed like an insignificant church, that John had to deliver a message of severe warning and judgment. In the book of Revelation chapter 2, it's not in your notes, but I'm going to read this letter that Jesus says for John to write to this church. And it says in Revelation 2.18, And to the angel of the church in Thyatira write, These things says the Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire and his feet like, fi like fine brass. He says, I know your works, your love, service, faith, and your patience. And as for your works, the last are more than the first. In other words, you're getting better and better at your works. You're doing great. Nevertheless, I have a few things against you because you allow that woman, Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess to teach and seduce my servants to commit sexual immorality and eat things sacrificed to idols. And I gave her time to repent of her sexual immorality and she did not repent. Indeed, I will cast her into a sickbed and those who commit adultery with her into great tribulation, unless they repent of their deeds. I will kill her children with death, and all the churches shall know that I am he who searches the minds and hearts. And I will give to each one of you according to your works. Now to you I say, and to the rest in Thyatira, as many as do not have this doctrine who have not known the depths of Satan, as they say, I will put on you no other burden, but hold fast what you have till I come. And he who overcomes and keeps my works until the end, to him I will give power over the nations. He shall rule them with a rod of iron. They shall be dashed to pieces like the potter's vessels. I also have received from my Father, and I will give him the morning star. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. We know that we are the church. The Bible calls us the church. There's a called out ones. Church is not a building. It's not a place. It's who you are. So he's not only writing this to the church in Thyatira, he's writing it to you and me as the church because what Jesus said, he is still saying He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. So he's still saying the same things to us. 
But who is Jezebel? Why would Jesus bring up this woman? What importance does she have in this letter that John is writing? Well, this word, this woman Jezebel, first her name means chaste or free from carnal connection. She was devoted to luxury. She liked the, the flashy life, but she was a, a promiscuous woman. She was the daughter of Ethbaal, king of the Sidonians, he, who was both king and priest of the worship of this god they called Baal. So she came from that bloodline. Now, as a Jew, Ahab sinned against his Hebrew faith in taking Jezebel as his wife. Ahab was one of the kings of Israel, and he took her on his wife, which was not supposed to be done. They were not supposed to intermarry, and God says, you're not to intermarry, otherwise all these things will take place. In fact, if you're reading in your devotions right now in the book of Joshua, that's what's happening right now. They're, they're taking over the promised land, and God is saying, you've got to wipe them all out, otherwise you're going to worship their gods, which do not exist anyway. Her father, Ethbaal, actually meant a man of Baal. He was named after this god. And this woman, Jezebel, was a, she was powerful in influence. She, she had that kind of forceful, uh, I'm right, you're wrong. She had the kind of attitude or charisma or strength that you could not tell her otherwise. You might know someone like this today. Some women are just that strong. They're strong-minded. No one can tell them otherwise. Once they make up their mind, they're going to have it their way. That's the end of the story. That's how this woman Jezebel was, except she was following Baal. She was so devoted to Baal that she, she erected two sanctuaries that housed 850 priests for this god. And she used all her gifts to further evil, to further her evil, and, and her influence was wrongly directed. She was also a dominating wife. She controlled King Ahab. And because she controlled him, she could basically maneuver and manipulate him to do whatever she wanted to do. And because of that, her children became corrupt also, even though they were in the nation of Israel. Well, her husband, King Ahab, at one point wanted a vineyard. And you may remember this story, but he wanted a vineyard that was owned by Naboth. And King Ahab went to this guy and he says, hey, you know, I, I, I see your vineyard. It's great. It's doing well. I was wondering if we could take it, take it over. And Naboth said, you know, King, uh, this has been passed on to me from my forefathers, so I want to keep it. And Ahab said, okay, that's fine. Well, Jezebel hears about it, conspires, puts together some false witnesses, and says some false things against Naboth, and then brings him to court and executes him. Goes, and then she goes to the king and says, you can now have the vineyard. So that's the kind of woman she was. She used her strength and character to destroy not just the king, but her own children and the rest of their bloodline. And she actually began to pollute the life of a nation. And because of all that she did, trying to convert Israel to worship this foreign god Baal, God sent a prophet called Elijah. 
And remember Elijah did battle with her prophets on Mount Carmel? That he called upon their prophets and, and Elijah says, bring your prophets, bring them all. And he said, we're going to have some sacrifices. You make one altar, I'll make one altar. And you call upon your God and I'll call upon my God. And so they called upon their God and nothing happened. And Elijah's like, where's your God? Where is he? What is he, using the bathroom? Where is he? In fact, if you read in the book in, in Kings, you'll see that story. And Elijah said, okay, hang on. Okay, your God did not show up. My God will show up. In fact, go put the sacrifice on the altar and then douse it with water. Put more water. In fact, drench it with water. And then Elijah called upon God and he says, God, you are the true God. Show these people that you are the true God. And God sent down fire from heaven, consumed the sacrifice, and all the water was sucked up also. And then Elijah had all those false priests executed. That sounds pretty brutal. But what God is saying is this woman Jezebel, one person, can bring in impurity to a nation that is supposedly serving a pure God. And so Jesus addresses the church and he says, you allowed that spirit of Jezebel to come in. He's not talking about the woman, Jezebel. He's talking about that spirit. Because over 900 years has passed since Jezebel showed up in the Bible in the book of Kings, 2 Kings, until the book of Revelation. Over 900 years go by before someone even brings up Jezebel. And Jesus said, this spirit you've allowed to come in. See, we can allow and live a life of purity even in a world that carries a Jezebel spirit. Even in a heart that carries a Jezebel spirit, even a heart that carries sin, we can have purity by understanding what Christ was saying to the church in Thyatira. And here's what Jesus was saying. Number one, you can write this in, that sin is subtle. But here's the good news. Christ is quick. Sin is subtle, but Christ is quick. This church allowed Jezebel to seduce God's servants. In fact, that's what he said. You allowed her to seduce my servants. Jesus is addressing this spirit here. It's kind of like this. I have some, some water up here. Now, you pour this water into this cup. And here's, here's like a spirit of Jezebel. It just comes in. It could be anything. It could be sexual immorality. It could be pride. It could be unforgiveness. It could be idolatry. Now, you put that in there. What was once pure is no longer pure because it has been tainted with impurity. So Jesus is saying you've allowed certain things to come in to this church and now it's impure. And for some of us, we carry those impurities. We carry a spirit of anger or a spirit of bitterness. We have that spirit inside of us and Jesus is saying, you're, you're following the wrong thing. It's not, it's not Jezebel or that spirit that you should be following. It's my spirit. Some of, us, some of us carry on that spirit because, like Jezebel, she corrupted her children. Maybe some of us are carrying some of those spirits or, or our anger because of our parents. Maybe dad or mom was like that. Or maybe we have insecurity because you've seen what happened to your parents and so now you're insecure. 
Or maybe you have a spirit of jealousy because something happened in your family. Who knows? Maybe, maybe it was just passed on to you because that's all you knew. Maybe greed or lust, even adultery or fornication, immorality is in your heart because it's been passed down. Or maybe not from your parents, maybe just from your past, that it's still with you. And this spirit continues on because it's impure now, and that's what our life looks like. What is interesting and what we don't recognize is because it's impure, we get used to it. And then that's our life. And we're used to a life that's impure, but to us it's pure. To us we're okay because that's what we know. That's all we know of. But after a while, someone might confront us and say, you know, you're, you're, you're always angry or you're always bitter or, or you're always gossiping or whatever it would be. Or maybe even when the Spirit of God speaks, that it kind of it gets to you. That you have a spirit of pride or jealousy or you're a complainer and then, and then it hits you. But then we use this, this is, our, this is almost like our, our, our get out of jail free card that we say these these things well god is my judge you're not my judge god is my judge or we say well god will forgive me or we say well he who has the first sin uh, he who has no sin cast the first stone we like those statements because it justifies us being impure we like those statements and we use them all the time or we even say this well i'm not perfect which is true. We all know we're not perfect. We all know that God is our judge. We all know that Jesus himself said, he who is without sin cast the first stone. So we all know that already. Why would I want to use what I already know that is not going to help me to move forward unless I use something else? If I keep saying, well, God is my judge, God is my judge, he is my judge, and I'm still blue. Yeah, but I'm not perfect. Yeah, I know you're not perfect, but you're still blue. Well, then that's just the way I am. I know that's just the way you are. You are blue. Yeah, but don't judge me. I'm not judging you. Judging from the Bible means that you put yourself above someone else. That's the word judge. There's two different judgments in the Bible. One is you judge someone else making yourself better. That you put them down and you put yourself above them. The other judge is to a Christian brother or sister that says, correction, help. I see better for you. There's potential in you. You're blue when you're supposed to be clear. Yeah, don't judge me. You're not supposed to judge me. God's my judge. Well, then let's go that route. God says you're blue. His word says what you're doing is blue. You're impure. What are you going to do then? The point of the matter is this. We're impure. If a Christian brother or sister judges us or God judges us, we're still blue. I'd rather, instead of me saying that, well, God's my judge, or don't judge me, don't, don't help me, I'd rather say, Lord, what is it in me that you want to change? Because if sin is subtle, I won't recognize it. Look at what the Bible tells us in 1 Peter 5, 8. It says to be of sober spirit, be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. He prowls around. You ever saw a lion prowl around? 
They're like in the bushes, and all they do is they just prowl. They, they, they lay low, but you can kind of see their shoulders moving. They prowl around. In other words, they're stealth. Sin is stealth. You don't even recognize that it's coming until the lion pounces on you and rah, too late. Got you by the jugular and you're done. That's what sin does. It's very subtle. But the Bible tells us to be sober of spirit. Jesus is telling the church in Thyatira and telling us, don't let impurities cloud your spirit. Be of sober mind. Don't let anything cloud you. Because once that happens, you can't be alert when the devil prowls around seeking someone to devour or seeking to devour you. Have you ever tried sneaking up on someone when they're drunk? When they just all bust, they don't even know what's going on. It's easy to sneak up on them. They didn't even know you're there. Not hard to do. Why? Because they're clouded. They're not sober. You can actually do things to a drunk person. Some of us did that while we are in our partying days, that they're drunk out of their mind and they're falling asleep. So you take a Sharpie pen, you draw on their face, you put all kinds of stuff on them, toothpaste, you put shaving cream on them or on their hands, you touch their face and they, they slap their own face. You do those things because they're clouded. They can't make right judgments. At the same time, that's why we have laws in place against drunk driving because it clouds your thoughts and it's dangerous to everyone else, especially for that person. So the Bible tells us don't, don't let anything cloud your mind. Otherwise, you can't make those kinds of decisions that are good for you. And the only way you can discern the enemy prowling around is if you're alert. And you can only be alert when you're sober, pure from anything corrupting your mind. You know, there's two websites that I use to help me in keeping a pure mind. Because of technology today, uh, they, they're able to help us. One of the sites is called kidsinmind.com, and they have it up here if you want to write it down. This is a great site to go to before you go to the movies. The reason why you want to go to this website before you go to the movies is because how often you would go to the movies and you'd sit there and you're thinking, oh, I didn't know this was in the movie but you already paid $80 to get into the movies. So you don't want to leave. You're wasting your money. So you don't want to waste your money. You go to this website, and they have most of the movies uh, from the past as well as uh, today, and they'll list everything in that movie, and they'll let you know how many swear words are in there. They'll let you know the content, profanity, nudity, violence, gore. They'll mention everything. There are some movies that I put in there and I said, oh, I'm thinking of watching this movie. Put it in. After reading the, re the, the, um, the different reviews or the profanity and all of those things, I'm like, I feel impure already just reading what this movie is about. But that's a great site. And it just helps so that before you go to the movies, you know what you're getting into. The second uh, website, it's kind of a weird-looking uh, web address, but I'll, let, I'll explain why. This one is called triplexchurch.com. The reason why it's that, it's for your, your electronic gadgets, for your iPad, your iPhone, or whatever phone you have, uh, your computer. And what this website does is it puts a program in your computer so that if you go to any questionable website, especially pornography, then you have two accountability partners. For me, it's Heidi and then another person, my accountability partner. 
so that if I go on any questionable websites on my iPad, my iPhone, or any of my gadgets or my computer, then it gives Heidi an email saying, this website was questionable. Therefore, Heidi can come to me and say, there was a questionable website that popped up. So what this does is it keeps me pure from doing anything on my iPad or my phones or anything private or anything behind the scenes that I can get away with. You know what I mean? In our technology today, we can hide stuff. But what this does is it puts an, account- an accountability on my uh, gadgets that I have, electronic gadgets. Because the number one person that, is gonna be account- that you're going to be accountable to is not your accountability partner, and it's not even God. Believe that. And I'll explain why. The number one person that, w- that should keep you accountable is you. You keep yourself accountable. You keep yourself pure because you're the one who's going to turn blue. Not God, not your spouse, not your family, not your children, you. You blue. It's that simple. So those websites help with keeping purity. And I just wanted to pass that on to you. And our lives, if we think about it, it doesn't just self-implode all of a sudden. It's subtle. It happens over time. You let, you let things slide. You take shortcuts. You allow impurities to enter your mind and your heart. And then it enters our relationships. Therefore, our relationships begin to decay because we already are impure. And then we corrupt everyone else. Sin is subtle. But the good news is Christ is quick. Here's how Jeremiah 17, 14 puts it. It says, heal me, O Lord, and I will be healed. Save me, and I will be saved, for you are my praise. In other words, the Bible is saying, if I want to be healed, Lord, you can heal me. If I want to be saved, you can save me. There's no time frame in there. It's, Lord, I need healing. You can do it like that. Lord, save me. I can save you like that. When an impure thought comes in your mind, Lord, help me, heal me, save me. He'll do it just like that. But we have to cry out to him. Sin is subtle, but Christ is quick. He's quick. 1 John 1, 9 says, but if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just. If we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness or from all wickedness. But the Bible says, if we confess to him. So, we might be blue right now. Maybe we have an impure mind, an impure heart, and it's, it's clouding our thoughts and our, our judgments and our decisions. But he says, you confess it to me, I can make you pure again. You got to confess it to me, though. Which brings us to the second point. Choose cleansing over impurity. Choose cleansing over impurity. Some people, and I've tried this before, I thought, maybe I should just stop sinning. What if I just stop sinning? If I can just stop sinning, if I just stop sinning, then I'll be okay. That's called dead. That's when we die. Unless you can stop your thought process, which is in a microsecond, you can't stop sinning. And if you try to stop sinning, which is fine. If you want to try and do that, that's fine. But there's another way to do it. There may be some hidden seeds that you may not know of that you're saying, I just got to stop sinning. I got to stop sinning. And roots that need to be taken care of, but I just got to stop sinning, stop sinning. But because of those seeds and roots, you just don't see them. But what we normally do is we'll say this. This is like life. And then seeds were sown. 
before we met Christ. These seeds grew up, became plants, and then eventually became trees. And because of this, these, these trees bear fruit. And then they fall and then produce more seeds. Some of us try to cut down the tree and say, I just got to stop sinning. If I just stop, if I just cut down the tree, the problem is there's an unbelievable root system that goes deep down into the ways of the world. And sometimes we cut the surface, but there's still roots there and seeds, and they keep springing up. That's why some of us say, why can't I just get better? Why do I, I try and try and try, but I just can't stop? But that's because what we see is this. What we don't see is this. That's all under the surface. That's in our heart and soul. That's why Jesus says, you're allowing this Jezebel spirit to come in and seduce my servants. That Jezebel spirit is a root that comes from underneath. It comes from within and ruins us. Jezebel had some root problems too. Her children, she passed that on to her children and then continued to pass it on even 900 years later. And they were just as impure as she was, even though she had already died. We see that in our children. Our children, they'll do things that we do. Or when they grow up, we'll say, you just like your mara. Or when they do something kolohe, you just like your father. You know, we, we see something in our children that reminds us of their parents or one another. But when they do something good, oh, you're just like your daddy. Or you're just like your mommy. But they still have impurities in them. Why? Because it's been passed on to them. But the Bible tells us in Psalm 51.10, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and sustain me with a willing spirit. You see, just as negative traits are passed on to our children, so are positive ones. So we choose to be cleaned by God, not impurities. We don't let impurities come in. We let the cleansing power of God clean our hearts. And Jesus can do this because he's the son of God. That's why he came as the son of God to this church. If you read the other churches prior to it, to the church in Ephesus in chapter 2 in Revelation, these things says, He who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of seven golden lampstands. That's who Jesus came as. It's like he changes hats for every different church. The church in Smyrna, these things says the first and the last, who was dead and came to life. And then the church in Pergamos, he said, These things says he who has a sharp two-edged sword. But in this church, this is the only place that he says, I come to you as the Son of God. He brings power. He changes hats and he says, I come to you as the Son of God. Yeah, you have the, the temple Apollos there who is the, your sun god. You pray to him for, for weather. I created the sun. I am the Son of God. That's who I'm coming as. In fact, Elijah, when he prophesied for Israel to be without rain for three years, it came to pass. It's interesting that the God they chose to worship is what God used to show his power over weather and cause the drought to happen in Israel at that time. Now, in the book of Revelation, he says, here I come. 
I am coming to you as the son of God. You write this letter, John. You write to this church in Thyatira, the smallest city of the seven. But they're, they're going to have a big influence in the churches in the future. Luke 6.45 tells us that the good man out of the good treasure of his heart bring forth what is, bring forth, brings forth what is good. And the evil man out of the evil treasure brings forth what is evil. For his mouth speaks from that which fills his heart. The question is this. What is filling your heart? Is it pure or is it impure? What is filling your heart? Because some of us have pure motives. Some of us don't have pure motives. Some of our motives are so impure that we think of ways to carry something out but hide it so that it looks right. My sister did that one time to my cousin. She said, oh, come over, come over. We're going we're gonna to have fun. We're going to do our hair. We're going to do makeup and stuff like that. The problem was the day before, my cousin made trouble to my sister, and my sister was seeking revenge. And she was looking for a way to get back at my cousin. So she said, no, no, we, let's come over. She goes, no, we're not talking. We're fighting. She goes, no, 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 I'm your friend now. I'm your friend. And she goes, no, you're not my friend. She goes, no, no, no. Just come over to my house. We'll do makeup and hair. So she came over and was a little hesitant. And then my sister said, no, see, I got all the makeup set up. I got the iron for, you know, curling hair. I got all that, the brush and all of that. So she said, okay. So she started to make her makeup, do her makeup. And then after a while, she became friends. They were friends. And she was doing her hair, her makeup and brushing her hair. She said, and then my sister said, do you want to curl your hair? She goes, yeah. She goes, well, sit right here. And she puts her down where the iron was. You know that curling iron? She sat her down right on the iron and held her down. Now, this is when we were kids. My sister's grown up. She's not evil anymore. And she sat her down. And I thought about that. I thought, that's just like the devil. That's just like the devil. He'll, he'll speak subtle things, and it's impure, but at first you may not, you, you may even recognize it's impure, and you say, no, it's an impure thought. No, it's an impure motive. No, 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 don't want to have anything to do with that. It's evil. And the devil says, it's not evil. I'm your friend. You're not my friend. You're my enemy. The Bible says you're my enemy. I'm not your enemy. Why would I be your enemy? Come on over. We'll, we'll have fun together. It'll be fine. And then you let that thought enter your mind, and you say, okay, it's not that bad. Nobody's getting hurt. No one knows. No one recognizes. It's not hurting my life. It's not hurting no one's life. No one will know it. My boss won't know. My spouse won't know. My children won't know. And then that slow, subtle, impure thought ruins our heart. And because of that, whatever is on the inside will come out. The good man out of the good treasure of your heart brings forth what is good. He brings forth what is good because there's good in there. But the evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart brings forth what is evil for his mouth speaks from that which fills his heart. And we wonder why we get into those fights over and over again, why we go in circles in our life, why we do the same thing over and over. Because we're only doing what fills our heart. And Christ addressed that to this church in 95 A.D., we're still dealing with this stuff today. So how do we solve this? Here's the last thing. Develop an attitude of repentance. Develop an attitude of repentance. See, whenever you have an opportunity for impure thoughts and you choose cleansing at that moment, because sin is subtle, 
He'll clean your heart so that you can bring forth what is good, but you need the attitude of repentance. You're either going to agree with Jesus now or you're going to agree with him when you see him face to face. It's your choice. But if you agree with Jesus now, then he takes care of what is impure. Rather than waiting till I see him face to face, he says, I can take care of this stuff. You're either going to agree with him now or later when we see him face to face and we're, we're dead. It's kind of like when I, when I was growing up, anytime I did something wrong, I could hear my mom's voice in my mind. Sheldon, don't steal that. That's wrong. You're going to get caught. Don't do that. And what do I do? I think of, instead of listening to my mom, what can I do then to not get caught? Instead of saying, Mom, you're right, I'm wrong, what am I going to do not to get caught? So I, I try to think of ways to get away with something. But I can hear my mom's thoughts. And then I go ahead and do what she said not to do, and I get busted for it, get caught, and then the police got to bring me home, and then I got to face my mom, and what does she say? What did I tell you? What did mommy say? Didn't mommy tell you not to take that? Yes, mommy, you told me not to take that. Didn't I tell you that this was going to turn out bad? Yes, mom. Didn't I tell you that you're going to get arrested? Yes, mom. Then why didn't you listen? I don't know. I don't know. I was hungry. I wanted Skittles. You're, you're going to agree with your mom either at that time or when you're getting dirty lickings. It's going to be one or the other. I'm either going to agree with God now or when I see him face to face because every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. I'm, I'm going to do that anyway. I might as well do that now and develop an attitude of repentance that before it becomes impure that I can take care of it with God. The Bible tells us in Philippians 2, verses 5 through 11, you must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality, as, equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Therefore, God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. Huh, sounds like the root system there. And under the earth. And every tongue declared that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You're either going to agree with Jesus now or later. It's your choice. I'd rather develop an attitude of repentance now because an attitude of repentance says that I'm constantly agreeing with the Spirit of God, that we give up our privileges with humility unto the obedience to God. Yeah, I have a right to do this. Yeah, I can get back at that person. Yeah, I can seek revenge. Yeah, I can have impure thoughts. God gave me a mind. God wants me to be happy. God gave us this and this and this so that we could utilize it. He gave us the freedom to choose. So we think in that way, and we say, I'm just going to do whatever I want. And God says, but you're not agreeing with my spirit. You don't have an attitude of repentance. You have an attitude of disobedience. Therefore, I'm impure because of that. For some, we may be wondering, why, why can't I move forward? Why can't I excel? Why can't my marriage thrive? Why can't my relationships thrive or my family? Why can't I lead better? Why don't I get promoted? Why, don't I, why can't I lead better as a father, as a mother? And we may have those thoughts. 
But I'm learning this. My future leadership is dependent on my present submission to God. Whenever I say, God, why can't I? How come I'm not that person? Why can't I get that? He'll always measure my leadership in my future by my present submission to Him. If I'm submissive to God like how Jesus would, the Bible says, then He, at that time, will elevate you to that place of honor. He did that with Jesus Christ. See, the spirit of Jezebel says, elevate yourself. That you're going to elevate yourself. It's going to be on your own volition. And that spirit of Jezebel is working to elevate Thyatira, to get to a, a, a prominent place, but But they were not following the teachings of Jesus. They were following the Baal practices. And Jesus says, you have that Jezebel spirit that is seducing my servants. There's a typo in your notes. Uh, It's actually Revelation chapter 2, verse 21 through 22. But it's up here on the screen, and I'll read it. Jesus says, and I gave her time to repent of her sexual immorality, and she did not repent. It continues to say in verse 22, Indeed, I will cast her into a sickbed, and those who commit adultery with her into great tribulation, unless they repent of their deeds. See, Jesus is forewarning and saying, yeah, there is that spirit there. Yeah, there is, there is impurity, but you can repent and change. You can turn from those ways God always, always, always gives us time to repent. He always does that. He will always, always give us time to repent. I remember even in high school when people wanted to fight, there was time to repent. Even today when Heidi says something and I want to say something back, I have time to repent. And when I do, it is the best decision. He gives us time to repent. And he said to this church, he says, I've given, I've given Jezebel this, some time to repent, but she has chosen not to repent. He always gives us time to repent so that the last works is greater than the first. That's what he said to this church. Yeah, you did great things, but because of this heart of unrepentance, unwilling to repent, then now your, your greater works are in the past. Can you say that your last works were greater than the first? In other words, are you getting better in your relationships, in your relationship with God, and in your relationship with your family? He says, indeed, I will cast her into a sick bed because she did not repent. You know what a sick bed is? It means you're not getting better. That's what they're referring to, that you're already on your way to pass on. You're deteriorating. You're getting worse and worse. But when you develop an attitude of repentance, you're constantly getting better because the last are more than the first. And that's what he's speaking to Thyatira. You have great works, but here's, nevertheless, here's what I have against you. Here's some areas that you need to do better at. I remember when I was trying to get better at at this thing called impurity, with, you know, swearing and, and uh, the way I would treat people and, and, and uh, my attitude and still got to deal with, you know, attitude and, and the way I treat people. But I remember just trying to deal with cuss words. 
in the beginning it was, okay, let's, let's just see how many times I swear. It was incalculable. I couldn't even keep up with it. I said, you know what, no sense already. I mean, in the first 10 minutes, it's like over 100. So I thought, there's no way I can count this stuff. So I just thought, Lord, how am I going to do this? And he said, don't concentrate on stop sinning or stop swearing. Concentrate on your heart. Let me come into your heart. Let me take care of that. Because whatever fills your heart is going to come out. And because I am pure, if you fill your heart with me, that will come out. And I will, I will work through you. And what people will see is not that you stopped sinning. They will see more of me and less of you. That you would decrease so that I would increase. And I thought, well, that's what I would try to do. That's what Jesus said. Revelation 2.25, nevertheless, what, I, what you have, hold fast until I come. He who overcomes and he who keeps my deeds until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations, and he shall rule them with, an, with a rod of iron as the vessels of the potter are broken to pieces, as I also have received authority from my father, and I will give him the morning star." He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. That's what he says. You hold fast to whatever you have until I come. Whatever hope you have, whatever purity you have, whatever heart you have for Christ, even just a little glimpse of hope, you hang on to that. And Jesus says, I'm coming, I'm coming, I'm coming. I will be there. You've got to hang on. But I've been hanging on all my life, you might be saying. He says, whatever you have, hang on to. You hang on to. I will give him the morning star, the bright and morning star. I thought, wait a minute. If Jesus says, hold on fast to what you have, and, but this Jezebel spirit is the spirit of corruption and impurity is in our life, and we're blue, then, then what do we do? How do we hold fast when, when that's what we have and that's what we know? Well, Jesus says when you hold fast to that, I've already received authority from my Father. And when you hold fast until I come, then I will give him the morning star. What is the morning star? Well, Revelation 2, uh, 22, 16 says, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you these things in the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David, the bright and morning star. Here's what is so powerful about Jesus Christ. He is the root. So even your old root system, instead of you saying, I just got to keep stopping doing this, say, no, I receive you, Jesus, as my new root system. And when Jesus steps on the scene and he comes in as the root, as the son of God, he takes care of what we cannot even see. And he cleanses our heart. And then he says this, when you receive me, you don't have to try to stop sinning. You let me pour into your life and I'll continue to pour you just keep your heart open, and I will give you not necessarily an actual morning star. I'll give you me. 
And it's not you who become pure because there's still some things that are impure in this. But I'd rather be this than what I was just a few years ago. And Jesus says, I, I paid for it, all of this junk on the cross. So all you have to do is receive me and I'll take care of all this stuff because I am pure. And you are to be holy for I am holy. Without Christ, this is what our life looks like. It becomes impure once again. But with Christ, the pureness of Christ, we can actually live in an impure world and still stand out as Jesus said we should because he is the bright and morning star. It's not us. It will always be the Son of God. Amen. Would you bow your heads with me and let's pray. Lord, it is only through you that we can be pure. It is only through your cleansing blood, your sacrifice, that we can have a life that is pleasing to you. Oh, we have so many impurities clouding us today in our world, but you've given us a way out, and it's only through you. Help us to have ears that hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. We are the church, Lord. We pray right now for a a heart that is just like yours, because sin is subtle, but you are quick, that you can heal us right now. Heal us, Lord, and we will be healed. Save us, and we will be saved, for you are our praise. Cleanse us from all impurities. We choose to be cleansed rather than impurities. Give us an attitude of repentance so that we can change the way we think, change our minds, and turn in a different direction before we become impure. And we allow you to come into our hearts so that we can be pure for you. If there's anyone here that you're saying, I've I've never had that exchange. I've never let Jesus pour into my life because I've never given him my heart to pour into. I've never received him as my Lord and Savior. But now I understand that that's the only way that I can deal with the things I've been going through and and the life that I want, the the life that I, I know I can have is only possible through him. And if that's you this morning, I want to pray with you to receive Christ this morning. And if you want to receive Jesus, could you just lift a hand real briefly, and I'll pray with you. Good. Anybody else? Good. God sees your hand. Good. Good. God bless you. Back there. God, right here. God sees you. Good. Good. You can put your hands down. We're going to pray this prayer together. In fact, how many of you as Christians, you're saying, boy, this is a, this is a good one for me, Lord. I, I, I receive you into my heart again today to cleanse me from any impurities that I may have. And if that's you, would you just lift a hand and you're just saying to God, I am hearing what your spirit is saying to me. Good. Put your hands down. Lord, pray for all of us and especially for those that are receiving you for the very first time. And let's, let's all say this prayer together and especially for those who are giving Jesus their heart. Heavenly Father, Forgive me of my sins. Cleanse me. Wash me. Purify me. Make me whole again. 
I trust in you. I believe you died for me. You were nailed to the cross. You were buried. But then you rose again to give me a future and a hope for all eternity. Purify my heart. Give me an attitude of repentance. In Jesus' name I pray. And we all said,